I'm Tyler, and this is Outbound Sales Lift, where you can elevate your SDR team and transform your sales development efforts. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider dropping us a rating. It really helps others find us, and you can also subscribe. Hit subscribe wherever you get in this podcast to get each episode delivered to you on Tuesdays right when they're released. On today's episode, we're going to be covering how to position your company for top SDR talent. And I've got the pleasure of being joined by J.R. Butler. J.R., welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. JR is the founder and CEO of The Shift Group, where he does a lot of sales recruiting and training for athletes transitioning into tech sales. And yeah, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about how the heck do you position your company for this top SDR talent. JR, what are you seeing in the market right now? Companies that are doing this well, what are they actually doing? How are they positioning themselves so that this top SDR talent, this top sales talent want to actually work for them? So I think a lot of companies get the easy part right is how I would describe it, Tyler. And and the easy part is positioning the opportunity. Obviously, A players want to go to winning teams. So being able to talk about, you know, the size of the opportunity that your company is going after, the, the unique IP that your company has, the ROI that it drives for customers, how quickly it drives that value, you know, the fact that you have a focused sales process in terms of who you're targeting, you know, your deal size compared to the the quota achievement. Yep. And then like, you know, the easy one of like, hey, this is you're coming in early. Here's the entry value of your your potential equity. Here's the, you know, if you sell the TAM well enough, then, you know, hey, here's the potential outcome that we can drive together at this organization. Right. So they do a a lot of companies do a really good job of like getting people excited about the company, right? Yep. Um, and I think if you have a big TAM and you have unique IP and you drive value for your customers, then you can do that, right? The challenge that I see when you do that too well is you get missionaries instead of merc- mercenaries. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, when when it's like hired guns, it's like, hey, I can come in here, I can make a ton of money, um, I can potentially have a really good outcome, but the second times get tough, right? And they always get tough, right? Especially in early stage companies. Yep. It's like it's like a roller coaster. Those mission, those missionaries are gonna be gone. Where the mercenary type of person, they, they they're not there just for that reason. They companies have done a, a better job of selling these other things that we we're gonna talk about. Mm. So they're gonna stick it out and they're gonna get through those hard times. Yeah. And right now, a lot of companies are feeling the pain of hiring. A whole bunch of miss- missionaries at the beginning of this year, I think. Mm, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, what does a missionary kind of employee look like? I guess let's dig in deeper there. Like, what are the key differences between this missionary and this mercenary uh, type of employee? So, like missionaries, there's two pieces to it. One is like all about the the outcome, right? Like that's the only thing they care about is like what's my what's my W two look like at the end of the year. Right. And what's How much my, money and, did I make? Did I hit quota? Like what's in this, what's in it for me almost? Correct. Correct. Like what's the, what's the equity outcome going to be like those types of things. Um, the other thing that like I would tie into missionaries is when the, when the job market was like super competitive at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of companies overselling like, Hey, we're a remote company. You know, we, you can have work-life balance 
Um, you know, we have a fun culture. And what happens is if if you're selling, if all you're selling is work-life balance, remote work, funny hat day on Zoom on Fridays, <laughs> and yeah. and you're like you're gonna make hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's that's gonna attract a very certain person versus like you know, the type of person that I like when I think of A players, I think of of course, like they excel at their role, right? And you, yep. and you could get like a like a lone wolf that is going to hit their quota and like be a high achiever. But, you know, you're going to miss out on these kids that, um, or these sales reps that are like focused on getting better. And Mm. to me, that's what an A player is. An A player is never satisfied with where they're at. And there's not enough companies talking about how they make their salespeople better. And that's the difference between a missionary and a mercenary. It's interesting you bring up work-life balance and remote because- what I, when I'm hearing from reps is that, you know, that's a, it's a key factor, but it sounds like you almost think that it's oversold by the company as, as what maybe the only factor or the most important factor when in your mind, it should just be one of the many factors maybe. Exactly. And, and, and I want to be really clear, like I'm talking very specifically about the entry level role, right? Like the, yeah. the BDR the BDR SDR function, right? Like enterprise AEs, you, in my opinion, the reason you get into sales is to get to that type of role where you're an individual, a high achieving individual contributor. That's when you earn the right to have work-life balance, Mm. go to your kids' baseball practices, you know, uh, be, be present with your family. I think that like, and I wanted that when I got into sales, but like, I also understood inherently because of my background like that's what i have to go earn but so many people don't want to do what you just said you just said they want to you have to go earn it some people just want i think especially kind of some of the younger generations coming up now it's almost like they expect that from day one right it's cool now right it's cool now to be in b2b tech sales because of oh i get to work from home i get to get my hair cut on tuesday at 11 a.m. I can work from anywhere. I could go travel and be in anywhere for a month and do anything. Yeah. It almost, it almost is like all the non-work stuff is what's cool, right? The everything outside of the work. But at the end of the day, it sounds like what the point you're trying to make is that the work really matters. The company really matters. And that's maybe that key difference between that missionary who's a little bit fleeting, who's out, maybe has one foot on the, out out the door at all times versus the mercenary who's in a completely different mindset it sounds like yeah it's the work matters the the company matters but what what actually like the especially the early stage career person Mm -hmm. that person should really really care about like how is this company going to make me an expert Mm. so that i can be that enterprise seller that consistently goes into large organizations creates urgency and need and does, you know, seven figure deals, right? We all want to get there, yep. right? But I hate, like I tell the the kids that we work with, I'm like, listen, you can get there, but you're going to, it's going to take a, a long time yep. and you're going to have to put in a lot of hours, right? Like the reason that technology salespeople later in their career can W2 hundreds of thousands of dollars consistently is because it's really, really hard. <laughs> right? like, like going in and selling seven figures of software to companies is not easy. It takes a lot of skill and a lot of talent. Um, 
And I don't think people really appreciate what it takes to get there. If you're going into a BDR job because you want work-life balance and you want to shut down and start up every day when you want to, you're probably never, you're never going to, most likely never going to get to that enterprise AE role. And if if you do, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of luck if you're putting in 30 hours a week, right? Right. You mentioned... You mentioned make me an expert, which I, when I hear that, I'm thinking professional development. I'm thinking personal development. I'm thinking training, coaching, like pouring into these folks. How can a company position themselves that they are going to do those things? How can you show that? Because sometimes I think that can be hard to show like in an interview process or like on your company's website, you know, that you care about those things. What does that look like? What does good look like there, JR? Yeah, I think so. If if I were if I were recruiting like an entry level sales organization and the way that I would want to attract the type of people that I want to talk about is I would be talking about how how competitive our culture is. It's like, mm. you know, every it's it's like you're being measured quarterly, uh monthly, quarterly, and yearly on your quota, but every single week where we're we're giving you the skills. We, yep. we sh- we're showing you, hey, these skills, these habits, and these processes are what it takes to be wildly successful in selling software. And we are we are testing you on it. And we're com- we're internally competing on on the development of those skills every single week in the yep. organization. So we're not only showing you what good looks like, but we are giving you the content that supports why those are the things that are important. And then we're testing you against those. So like competitive culture is super important. I think selling this idea that your organization is a continuous improvement, continuous development type of organization. And that goes top down, right? Like when I was at a company, we went from a million dollars to $200 million in seven years. And we would have weekly demo competitions for the BDRs that the CEO sat in. The CEO of this company would sit. And the, and the BDRs probably weren't even doing demos themselves. Were they just learning how to do them? They were learning so they could become an account executive and do it. Right. right. So they were doing BDR to AE development with the CEO watching. Correct. <laughs> that's pretty intense. Like that's it's what should be intense. on the website, right? <laughs> yes. Well, literally that's what, like, because if you compare, like, I don't, I mean, I've never heard another company doing that, but if you were to like, if you were to show that and tell reps like hey this is what you're going to be doing in a few months that's a key differentiator that's like wow they are they're showing it that's that continuous development you're talking about <laughs> yeah and guess who that's going to scare away it's going to scare away the kid who's only getting into technology sales because they want to get a haircut on tuesday <laughs> well yeah it's going to build that competitive culture so it sounds like when you think about missionaries versus mercenaries you're thinking about competition which i know for the shift group y'all also focus a lot on like uh, people with athletic backgrounds, right? Talk yeah. to me a little bit about that. Like, does that have an impact too when you're thinking about how to position yourself as a company? Should you be thinking about, well, where am I pulling this entry level talent from? And if so, how does that play into like your positioning of, of your recruiting efforts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't want to over rotate on like, you know, talking about obviously athletes have that inherent com- competitive right. nature, right? Um, that's one of the reasons that we focus on that that part of the population. But I don't think you need to be an athlete to be the type of person that hates to lose, right? Like that's kind of how I define comp- <laughs> how I define competition is like everybody loves to win. You're never going to talk to somebody on the street and go, 
you know, hey, you like losing. Nobody likes to lose. <laughs> you know, nobody, yeah. nobody. But there's certain types of human beings out there that like, they really hate to lose, right? Um, How do you find that out though? Do you simply just ask them like, JR, um, you know, interested in you for this role. Now I'm curious, like, do you hate to lose? <laughs> like, do you just straight up ask them or is there other ways you can find that out? Yeah, it's, it's so any, a, a, anybody in an interview is going to go, yeah, of course. Yeah. I hate to lose. You need, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I like, it's like we coach our kids is like, Hey, you need to find a company where development is important. And it's like, well, how do I find that out? JR, you ask the hiring manager, give me an example where you've coached a rep up. Ooh, right. Like, yeah. like somebody you've taken who's, who was weak on a skill. How did you make them better at that skill? So the same idea goes to the interviewer, which is, Hey, give me an example of mm -hmm. where you've shown how competitive you are. Right. Like I, I grew up in a house. My father was a ho hockey coach and I'm the oldest of three boys. Both my brothers played division one hockey. One of my brothers, my middle brother played in the NHL and played in the Olympics. And wow. This kid, like he's one of the best in the world at what my father loves the most. So I always tell people, I'm like, literally, I spent my entire childhood losing to my little brother. So like <laughs> we would sit, we would sit at breakfast and I would, I would race him to like finish my orange juice faster just so I could beat him in something. In something, right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like that's but it type. doesn't have to be necessarily sports, right? I mean, no. like you think about no. it's funny that you bring up like sibling rivalries because that's like an early way to kind of see that if you have sibling rivalries and you want to you want to try to win and that hating to lose because losing to your sibling is the worst, right? Yes. I mean, that's almost yeah. the worst type of losing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how back to like when companies are trying to position themselves, it sounds like you need to have those examples ready. Do you think it's as, enough to say to like, have those examples ready or should companies be communicating that in even like their outreach process or in their, in their job descriptions? Like where should companies be taking advantage of like those stories and how should they be positioning them to even like attract the right talent to even have an interview? I think you, you, you have to do it in your, in your value statement, right? Like, okay. like in your values as an organization, because a good, a good, a player sales candidate is is talking about your values in the interview. And so they're looking those things up. They're saying, all right, what does this company care about? And then I, you know, I never thought of it, but like including it in the job description of a BDR, like, you know, we did have in our BDR job description, like, hey, weekly competitions against the skills and habits that are going to make you a successful seller. That's yeah. a great place to have it. Like, if, hey, this is going to be part of your job is going to be getting better at what's going to make you great someday. Um, mm -hmm. an A player is going to like light up when they see that in a job description, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I love that. And maybe I'm going even further, but if you had like a video of it happening, I'm going back to that example of the BDRs doing the demos. If you made a quick 30 second little snippet of like what that actually looks like in real life, make it real life for them. Maybe that helps to tell that story even better. So in addition to talking about a lot of great ideas, you know, these missionaries versus these mercenaries, you know, what else should companies be thinking about? Uh, Cause I've heard you mention the word a player a lot. And yeah. it sounds like, do you think just separating the a from the non a players? Is that, is that a big part of this positioning? Um, and if so, like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think obviously that the competition piece is important but I also think about, you know, getting to the point where, um, you know, you're, you're get, like, there's a, there's a playbook, right? So, mm. you know, great organizations, we, 
and going back to like selling work-life balance, part of that yep. is autonomy, right? Like, hey, you have autonomy here. And you had a lot of companies over rotate on autonomy. I can tell you from my, you know, decade and a half of being a sales leader, my best, my best people, they wanted autonomy, but they also wanted me to tell them like, Hey, how do I execute here? Yep. Right. Like what, what do I need to do from, to get from point A to point B? And I think that's the, that's the way you can measure whether someone's an A player is like, as an organization, you, you do have to understand what good looks like. And I, that's hard. Yep. That's hard in, uh, in early stage companies. Cause you're figuring that out a lot. Um, but when you, when you do have like a, a process that works yep. is like measuring, measuring your, your candidates are like they executing the playbook, right? Cause like going back to that mercenary or missionary, excuse me, a missionary can come in because of pure talent and maybe Rolodex and they can go do deals. But are they do? Is it is it repeatable? Is it scalable? Can you point to that person and go, "This is how this person closed this deal," and now you can go and repeat this at ten other companies? Mm. Chances are no with the lone wolf. Whereas, yeah. like with an a, with an A player, they can look at every deal and they they've followed the playbook. They've always followed the process, yep. and that's why they can execute forecastably and scalably every single quarter. Is because they're just they're repeating really good habits. From right. a sales process perspective, that's a really good way to go. All right, who are my real A players, and who got lucky this quarter? Right. right. Well, and it sounds like also it's another key way that companies can position themselves in the interview process. What if you were to show some of that playbook? What if you were to talk about some of that process? And that's probably a question for both sides, right? Candidates should be asking the companies, "What is your playbook and process?" Companies better have one, yes. right? If you yeah. don't have one. That's probably a key. The A players might, well, they don't really have things figured out. I don't know if I see a path here to success. I don't know if this is the place where I'm going to get that continuous development. Maybe I'll try the next company, right? Exactly. And 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 even if you're a category creating software, Tyler, you still have you still have competition you go up against. And it's typically business as usual, right? Like, you know, you're going in and creating a need that a customer doesn't know they have. Yep. But that but there needs to be a okay, what's our playbook for business as usual, right? You should be able to answer in an interview process if somebody asks you the question, who's your biggest competitor and how do you beat them consistently? Whatever this is, whatever the biggest competitor is, you got to have an answer. Yep. This is our biggest competitor and this is how we beat them consistently. If you don't have a good answer for that and I'm a A player seller, I'm I'm like, uh, these guys haven't figured out how to beat their biggest competition yet consistently mm. that's scary yeah yeah that is scary that is scary um i want to and once you find okay now you've identified these a players in the interview process a players likely are going to have multiple opportunities right they're likely yeah. going to have multiple job offers um you know i see it all the time how do you then close the deal as a company, how do you make sure the A player ends up on your team whenever you've identified them, you've hopefully showed them some of those differences, but now we're at the end, right? We're at the end and we're trying to close the deal and get this A player on our team, not the, not the other team. What do we do to close them? The way that we, we are, we've always done it. The way I've always done it is, is I have my other A players as part of my interview process, right? I have my, my, my folks that are W2ing the most money, that are bought into the, the mission, the, the, the Titus, and they're part of the interview process. So they're talking to a like-minded person who's, you know, what we think of when we think of high, uh, 
uh, A players, hardworking, yep. high intellect, accountable people that, you know, have like a, I call it a give a shit muscle. Sorry to swear, <laughs> but like no, that's good. people that really care about getting better and like achieving a clear goal. I have people that are like them talking to them during the interview process. Now they feel like, oh my God, I'm going to be, you know, A players, I think want to be, they understand the concept that like you're the average of the, the five people you spend yep. the most time with. They like if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? Um, so a player putting an A player with an A player during that peer-to-peer step in your interview process, they're walking away going, Man, I, I can get better if I work with that person. And clearly, like I'm just like them and they're they're overachieving at this company. Now I want to go be part of that now. That's yeah. the way we've always done it. I like that a lot. Do they necessarily have to be in the same role? Like, let's say you're hiring maybe SDRs for the first time. Could it be the top AE on the team? Could it be somebody in a different part of the company as long as they have? Do you think that it factor, that A player factor? Absolutely. For, for the BDR side, what I would be doing is I'd be grabbing the, an AE on my team that yep. was a BDR who's mm. crushing it as an AE. Yep. And that's the that's the person I'm putting in front of all my A BDR candidates to go, this could be you and nine to 12 months, you know Correct. what I mean? Yeah. Do yeah. you want to end up here? Kind of like you were talking about with the enterprise AE kind of path, but yeah. showing it, I think showing it with a human is so much better. You know, I was just, I was talking to some SDRs, they, they're, they were pinging me, Hey, just, just became an AE and they were celebrating. Hey, thanks for the help, right. Of all the coaching and training that I did with them. But like that path showing perspective candidates that is so powerful, especially when you've got a human being like showing the story. It's not us just saying like, oh yeah, we develop our reps. A lot of people become AEs. Oh no, uh, you know, Rebecca did this. She started here eight months ago. She's crushed it. Now she's an AE, bigger base salary, bigger bigger responsibility. She's on a path to leadership here. You know, that's like, way I, different. It, yeah, it's like, it's like, why do companies do customer testimonials? It's so that a customer reads this and goes, this, some, this is someone just like me. Here's a... Here's a real story. Yep. You need to do the same thing in the interview process on both sides. Hey, I'm really coachable. Here's an example of me improving a skill that I was bad at. Hey, we do really good at coaching. Here's an example of how we've coached a kid before. Yep. You know, we promote a BDRs to AEs. Here's three examples that we've done in the last six months. Yep. Like as a salesperson, you need to hear the stories. You need the real examples. It can't just be a broad statement. We would never sell that way to a customer, we can't sell that way to people we want to hire. Yep. No, I totally agree. JR, any parting words of advice for companies out there, you know, trying to position themselves for that top SDR talent that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, th this won't be a popular opinion, but I'm going to speak very <laughs> honest. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm from Boston. So it's, there's, there's no gray area, black and white, like, don't be lazy. You know, like it's easy to, to, it's easy to talk about work-life balance and a fun culture and you know being remote and you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of people that will submit you know submit their their resume to your website and you can go brag at the at the management meeting that you know we got 500 resumes but if you got 500 resumes because that's how you're selling the company your conversion rate is is going to be low or you're going to hire the wrong people yep. so it's okay it's okay to make it harder on yourself by not overselling that you're gonna you might have to work a little harder, but you're going to get the right person and you're going to thank yourself in a year when you're not, when you're not having a ton of attrition. So don't be lazy. That's <laughs> my advice. hundred percent. Don't be lazy. I love it. 
JR, <laughs> thanks so much for the great conversation today. If you want to check out uh, more about JR, go to the shiftgroup.io, shiftgroup.io, and you can learn more about uh, what he's got going on there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Outbound Sales Lift. If you need help elevating your SDR team, please visit our website at thesaleslift.com to learn more. Also, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get podcasts to check out next week's episode filled with more great ideas on transforming your sales development efforts. Thanks again for listening. And remember, no sale starts until you book that meeting. See ya.